so there's so many adventures to be out there so yeah it's totally to inspire other people to go and find what they want to do what their challenges are and not to be afraid just give it a go and fail guess what fail it's no big deal just get on your bike and try again Hello, folks, and welcome to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name is Steve Ingham. I'm a performance scientist and consultant by trade, having supported elite athletes, businesses and teams to a higher level of performance. And this podcast is about meeting some of the people, exploring some of the concepts from those high performers, the people who've been a driving force behind performance, and from those who've developed unique insights that can help us on our journey as we aspire and look forward to the things that we're working towards. So this week's interview is with Louise Minchin. Now for the Brits amongst you, Louise will probably need no introduction. But for anyone else overseas or who doesn't watch television in the morning, uh, Louise is a journalist and former radio presenter and is best known as the anchor on BBC One's breakfast programme. So unique job that welcomes the day in for many people. So you may not know that over the last few years, Louise has had a sharp rise into competing for Great Britain in the age group Olympic distance triathlon. And in this interview, Louise shares the spark that set off this recent foray into competitive sport and how she prepares in training, how she fits that around a demanding day job. We explore the contrast with the pressure of performing in a swim bike run versus the pressure of performing every day to millions of people on camera. And we also discuss Louise's new book, Dare to Try, which has been written in a really engaging way to encourage people who are thinking about giving something a go to do exactly that. So without further ado, over to the interview. Louise Minchin, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much indeed for inviting me. I'm very excited. We heard that you're new to podcasts as a concept and we leapt upon it and just thought, ah, a, a potential guest for supporting champions. I, do you know, I started my career in radio many years ago and I absolutely loved radio. And what I love about podcasts is it brings back to me all the things that I loved about radio, which is there's not too much technicals. Uh, you get straight to the point. You don't have to worry about pictures and you can hear what people are saying. And I think you hear stories and can tell stories I'm in a different way. So I'm really excited about the podcast. I'm new to it, so I'm just picking them up. And I've just listened to yours today. This embarrassing the first time today. But I will listen again because I just think there's so much out there that you can find things that you particularly are interested in. And so it's a whole exciting world. Um, and it's, it's lovely to be part of it. Fantastic. And I uh, I spoke to Liz Stokoe on, I think it was episode 12, who was a conversational mm -hmm. analyst so I was right. super self-aware, and now I'm now I'm talking to a professional presenter uh, and interviewer. So I'm not I'm not worried about this at all. <laughs> you do very good interviews. Do not do yourself down. <laughs> well, well, I'll take that. Actually, that's that's good enough for me for today. So I was I was doing my research. I was reading through yep. your book. Uh, I was looking on your website and through your blog, and I found a nice blog which said top three questions that you always get asked. <laughs> so do you want to ask them? No, well, I thought, 
Oh no, that's that's like a sort of a, a signal to say, don't ask me these, but I'm going to ask you at least one of them. Um, one of them was what, uh, how do you choose what to wear? One of them was about how long does it take you to get made up in the mornings? Um, and then the th- you're interested in. <laughs> and the third one was about the time you get up. So I'm going to try and ask the question without actually asking that question. But then I thought, actually, I won't be put off asking that question because it's a bit like not asking an elite athlete about some of their wins or their training routine because <laughs> it's part of your it's 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 a very interesting feature of what you do about and that is the, the number one question i get asked which yeah. is and you have not asked it what time do i get up in the morning and that has been variable but no, i was going to ask being... you what time you go well... to bed and how many hours you sleep and then let okay. people do the maths <laughs> <laughs> maths is always bad so i normally go to bed at nine thirty. And I get up at 3.40. So 9.30, I go to bed, get up at 3.40. And um, that would be fine. Six hours would be fine if in, if I actually got six hours, I think. Because, because obviously, you know, I then get late. So I get to bed at 9.33. And then we all know you don't go straight to sleep when you go to bed. Uh, so it's under six hours. And have you got used to that? Is that have you habituated to what we'd would call in sleep physiology the compression sleep compression almost squeezing it a bit tighter ah oh, now you see now you said sleep compression that's almost optimistic for me um i have yeah. <laughs> almost optimistic <laughs> but, but, but not, i'm a really optimistic person but but sleep is the one thing that really kind of gets to me um so i have habituated to it i have systems and i have routines and that is the only way i could deal with it um, but I don't think, I mean, maybe it's difficult to sort of look back because I, I can't I can't do that so well. But I don't think it gets easier. I don't think it gets better. You just do exactly what you said. You get yourself used to it because there is that is the only option. OK, so you've hit on a, a key aspect there when we're working with athletes or executives mm. about routine, applying that routine, almost like the the discipline and the structure, which not only allows your body clock to know where it stands, but also mentally providing yourself with a structure to say, that's when you go to bed, that's when you're going to get up. Yeah. And then I also add to that, to the compression thing, I also have, um, I do have, and I've just woken up now, that's why we couldn't speak till now, I do have an afternoon sleep. And I have about an hour and a half then. And it's kind of really boring because it gets in the way of about a trillion things, including, you know, training and being outside in this beautiful weather. But uh, that, again, for me, is is my kind of quick fix. It's the way I can get through the day. So, again, you're, you're right. I'm really I'm not as disciplined as I could be about the sleep. Um, but discipline and routine is what makes me be able to manage with it. Right. Okay. So you, you're you're managing it in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have a Do you have a routine almost before you go to bed? Do you have a oh, way to, to specifically clock your mind and body down? Um, yeah. So I definitely do. Um, so we try and have, and again, because I've got two daughters like you do, teenage daughters. So we try and have dinner. Um, you know, about in ideal world, we'd have it at seven thirty, but we don't. We have it quite late at eight. And then pretty much, I go straight up to uh, to my room um, and then have a bath. And that's what I always do. That's kind of my downtime before going to bed. Bath before bedtime, 
you know, often like I get my emails in from work, not till after I've had dinner. So, you know, all that thing about, oh, you don't look at emails, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I can't do that. I sort of look at my email really just before I'm going to bed. But I don't think for me, actually, that stops me going to sleep. Um, I am a really I'm a, I'm a champ. The one thing I'm really good at <laughs> is actually sleeping. <laughs> So as long as I'm in bed, I will go to sleep. So that's on the upside. That's a talent in itself, isn't it? That, that's uh, well, that's I a do genuinely. Skill. I do genuinely, and I'm trying to pass it on to my children because you know I can nap um, for 20 minutes and feel so much better for afterwards. And I think I don't think I could have done this job uh, as long as I have if I wasn't really a really good sleeper. So it's not just the getting into bed that's the problem. The sleep is. I'm very lucky. I do sleep really well. You have a, a nap which allows you to manage your energy and revitalize yeah. you. Do you have a, have any other habits that you you apply um, to the sleep, or to, um, to allow or you to... to manage the sort of hectic regime? Also, perform well, well yeah. at work. Well, we come to that whole thing about why um, I started the exercise in the in the first place, and and the spark was doing this race in the velodrome against my um, my co presenters. But I sort of realized when I started doing this job full time that I needed a space in my life that was my space. So it's very intense, my job, and I really love it. But mentally, it's really it's very intense because I'm sitting on the sofa having to look immaculate in front of six million people. Let's try not think about that because that's really intimidating. Uh, there's a gallery in which I have open talk back. So all the time I hear chit chat. Camera three. Oh, gosh, this interview is not going to happen. It's now going to change time. This kind of constant voices literally in my head. Um, and so so that's really uh, crams into your brain space, as it were. Um, so what I needed was something which I came out of that where actually I wasn't thinking. And I kind of fell into this triathlon by accident because I started doing that, started realizing that when I'm in the pool, I don't hear, you know, I can't hear anybody. It's brilliant. All I can hear is pretty much my breathing, the bubbles. Um, and there's no text, there's no email, there's no Twitter. So so one without the other doesn't work. So there's, you know, we know the good stuff we get from it as well, all the endorphins and all the rest of it. Okay, so that's, that's really so interesting. So it's a symbiotic relationship, actually. The, the balance and offset. So if yeah. it's going to be intense in one area with, with so many sensory inputs, then yeah. you need an outlet that, that is... Uh, that we'd call it that alpha wave activity where you you're not having to think as as much about the the, the what you're actually doing and you're able yeah. to be freer and i think i literally do um you know i'm sure lots of people do this but you know it's the um it's the counting of the lengths and i used to get i used to be really busy in my head when i was doing exercise um and now i've kind of moved on from that and it is just I suppose in a weird way is it a form of mindfulness that's what i'm doing this is just what i'm doing whether it's a run a bike um, or a swim. Okay, can you unpack then that in the the intensity of that job? Because I think that's quite an interesting thing. And you know, there's lots of people that say, "Well, presenting or journalism, it's writing down words or reading out words." Yeah. You've you've got so many of these sorts of inputs. I remember I remember having an earpiece for a BBC program, and it just I just I couldn't think. Let alone the fact that you've got this perception and mm. understanding that down the camera lens is. There's a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. But this this idea that you've got to perform, you've got to deliver a set of words with a certain set of moods and behaviours and and a presentation style. You've also got to be mindful enough to be thinking of questions. You've also got somebody shouting down your ear about timings and inputs and directing your attention. 
Do you, is that something that you get used to or that you you naturally, you know, it's like a bit like the, the perfume smell is you either can smell it or you can't, or you can either do that or you can't. Um, I think, I think you write on the last bit where you said you either can do that or you can't. I think some people might find it, um, you know, really difficult to do. I can do it. Um, it's interesting when I've, um, for example, I've just been to um, Patagonia to do this fantastic um, X try, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Um, and when I come back, it's kind of interesting because it takes me a while to readjust to that level of in, of of input. Actually, I'm going to go. I'm going to move you. Let me move, and then I'll go. Some poor dog. She's just like I know you're in there, <laughs> and when you're in there, that normally means it's taking me for a walk. But yeah, I genuinely find that when I come back, that sometimes it does take a bit of getting used to and being able to hear. What's the difficult thing is being able to hear the relevant voice. Because obviously there's lots right. of voices and it's like, OK, which one do I need to be listening to of those three or four voices? Um, and so that your brain is always working about along with that all, all the time. That's interesting. So, so selective attention to a particular. Yeah. Particular and input. you're doing that simultaneously, as as you say, um, you know, listening to an interview, because you know, somebody tell me about timings. Oh, you've got one minute left on this. There'll be the director telling me oh, the director will be doing a lot of it. So obviously that is the kind of alpha voice that you've got to listen to. But you can also because I've been doing this for lots of years. Um, I could choose not to have all the noise from the gallery, but actually you can hear incoming problems before people have time to tell you. Do you see? So you sort of, um, you always do, your brain's sort of thinking ahead at the same time as thinking of what you're doing. You're looking ahead and thinking, oh gosh, I've realised that we've got five minutes to fill because Dan Walker's up Kilimanjaro and we can't, there's no comps. <laughs> so you've got to think, okay, right. So what are we going to, you know, it's not, you know, what what is that going to be filled with? So, yeah, it's a constant juggling. And, and as, you, as you sort of got, got trying to listen to hear out here, which is the most important voice to be listening to at that point. OK, so there might be a, almost a particular type of mindset or skill and aptitude that lends itself to that mm. performance. Mm. But equally, it sounds as though you can acclimatise to it. So we would talk about acclimatising your skills to a different level of pressure yes. as you as you go from junior to domestic to international level ranks. Mm -hmm. um, by the same token, if you've got radio, you don't have to think about visual. But if you've now got uh, a gallery or if you've got one particular voice, you, you as you start to get more skilled at it, yes. you can start to interpret it work with it spot the things that's most important yes of course exactly and that's what you know I've been doing this job for years and yeah you know five years ago I would have operated in a different way to how I operate now probably but there is I would definitely say but it's not often I took I took five weeks off to go um to Patagonia and actually I probably ha I haven't had a five-year break since I had a child and she's 14 so it's you know I haven't had a break and I didn't realize there was a kind of like you know a point where I actually could kind of lose the skill in some way uh, but get obviously get it back again Oh, the, the, uh, I had an interesting conversation with trampolining coaches recently. And when the trampolinists have more than three weeks off, they have to have like two weeks just getting back to the almost feeling, they feel sick when they first go back onto the trampoline of what they can perform. So they've almost got to reorient themselves wow. to going upside so that would down make and twisting around. That would make sense to me entirely. That wasn't a, that wasn't a specific recommendation for you <laughs> I'm not way, do to, to do some trampolining. <laughs> Um, and so, so this is interesting. So that, um, do you feel the nerves on a day-to-day -day basis? Is that something you I know get that's, used to? Again, um, about habituation, isn't it? So definitely not. Definitely not. You know, I, if you compare the first day I did breakfast, which is coming up, or breakfast from Salford, where we're now in Media City permanently, 
uh, to where I am now. I mean, no, I just think, and, and you can probably explain this better to me. No, I am not nervous, you know. And I think if you took my genuinely, if you took my heart rate with one minute or ten seconds to go before breakfast go, goes on air, no, I'm not nervous because that is what I do. I do it every single day. Um, I, I will be nervous if I do something. I don't know, like I've done a few things for radio. To um, Friday night is music night, for example, and that's out of what I would call my comfort zone. You get into your comfort okay. zone, you know. And the sofa to me feels like my. It's my, you know, it's my space. I know what happens in that space, and. So, no, I don't get nervous. But, you know, if I had a really big, important interview to do, um, of course, I would be nervous if suddenly if there was a big breaking news story, I wouldn't have time to be nervous, probably. But, yeah, I definitely used to what I do and I do not get nervous on a daily basis, which is good, I think. But then with triathlon and with races, I get ridiculously nervous and I and I. Oh, <laughs> that's interesting. We'll talk about that because I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Yes, yeah, so the. Self-efficacy is a big determinant of how you perceive things psychologically. And self-efficacy is about yeah. the confidence that you can perform a task right, yeah. ahead of you. Yeah. And so you, you've you got overwhelming evidence that you can do I've got it. Hours. So, it's hours so. and hours and hours of live television <laughs> under my belt. I think it's a bit like, I mean, obviously being a pilot is a much more, you know, much more onerous job. But it's like, they're like flying hours. I think the hours mm, that you yes. have on live television and, you know, they're banked, aren't they? And I've got, I've got so many of them, you know, mostly something that's happened probably has happened before. Do you see what I mean? So I've got all yes. that experience to draw on, I suppose, as well. Yeah. And so asking questions in the arena for an athlete would be, is this normal? Right. Can we deescalate the situation? De-escalation, yeah. What's the simplest thing that you could do to, uh, to resolve the situation? And, and so you'll have a bank of resources and experiences. Well, this was similar to that, or it might not be the same, but it's, we can apply the same idea. And I know you've read the book. So I do have, when there is that kind of, cause I, you know, there are, I'm not, as I say, there are occasions when I'm at work, when I genuinely, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, I've not done this before. And this is really, you know, you can feel your heart rate going up and you feel your breathing and all the rest of it. Um, and I know, um, you know, I do have a space to go to, which is like deep breaths, eyes closed. And I think of these jellyfish that I saw in Liverpool. Yeah, in the dock in Liverpool. Breathing in jellyfish. Yeah, <laughs> and I, you know, I know I literally can take only 10 seconds and that will put me in a much calmer place. Still can't quite apply that to standing on the start line at a triathlon, though. <laughs> <laughs> and do you do you do that before sit, um, before interviewing the uh, royalty? Uh, or I don't know. No, it just suddenly you know that because they're kind of like that that can come at you. I think um, when you're least expecting it. So so I can do it. You know, at any point it becomes necessary. I can deploy that, which is really useful. And yeah, it, it's, it feels like a, a performance in itself that you, you've acquired those skills, mm. but you've also acclimatized to those levels. Um, and, and then when any, anyone looks in at, at what you do on a day to day basis and goes, oh, yeah, OK, that's, there's, there's an art and a skill to that. Well, you've got to get up at half three. Oh, I don't fancy that very much. <laughs> I, think, I think if I can make I think a lot of people think that I just, you know, I just sit there and I'm just reading and blah, blah, blah. And it all looks really easy. And that's the art, isn't it? To make it look like it's not. I'm not saying it's hard. There are really hard jobs. But yeah, I think, you know, you put a lot of people in front of the camera and make them go right talk for two minutes and actually you, they'll suddenly realize that there are there are skills that I've 
got over many years, hopefully, which make it look okay and relaxed and natural. Your public speaking is, the, is regularly recorded as the number one personal fear. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, yes, it's, true, certainly, that's a good it's certainly up there as a stressful. All right, well, let's talk to, talk to you a bit about this this transition into triathlon. And so this event at the Velodrome yes. with your co-presenters on the BBC, uh, that was the spark. So tell us more about that. So um, it was 2012. I just joined the programme, BBC Breakfast up in Media City in Salford. And there, a producer said to me, oh, I'm thinking, trying to think of it, come up with a Christmas challenge for you all. What do you, have you got any ideas? And I thought, well, you know, what what we've been doing that summer was watching all the Olympians that you're working with, winning incredible gold medals. You know, it was just a summer of brilliant sport. And I just thought, well, why don't we try and do something that is inspired by that? And uh, she went away and she came up with this most incredibly ridiculous idea, which was that we were going to go to the velodrome, never been to a velodrome. We're going to sit on those bikes. I'd never, never sat on a racing bike, let alone one of the ones in the velodrome. And we were going to race uh, in front of 4,000 people. I was just like, oh, why did I ever give you the spark of this idea? <laughs> and we got in there. <laughs> Hoping for archery. I don't know what I was hoping for. <laughs> and we got in there and I just, the atmosphere on the night was so intense. But even during the um, the rehearsal, it's so steep and it's so intimidating and there's no brakes on the bike and there's no gears on the bike and your feet are clipped in. It was honestly, it was like a sensory overload. Um, and I screamed the first way round, the first time we went round. And then the second time I went round, I was like, oh, do you know what? like this and just that night was you know it was so intense and and Charlie who I was paired with Charlie State um had done a cracking time so my time was going to be added to his time and Bill had done Bill did a really really good time um Susanna was terrified had cried the whole way through um the rehearsal (laughs) I don't blame her I mean I don't know it could have taken me either way but um so so all I pretty much had to do was was sail around not fall off and we were going to win But there's this moment, and I look back now, when Bill had said, and they passed it back to me, I can't be beaten by a girl. And that was just like, right, (laughs) let's see. And there's this moment when I let go of the rail, and you can just see this kind of, uh, this my face change, and this kind of look of sheer, not well, A, determination, but just, I'm just going to jolly well do as best as I can this you know just going to go for it because I could have just played it safe and and that and that for me changed things because I whizzed around uh, like a lunatic beat him by five hundredths of a second or something which is you know and I, I never I never knew it could, it could be that close or they were going to time it that close and um and and it was brilliant that I beat Bill but it wasn't that that got me I just went over that finishing line and bang I was just like oh my gosh I just love that every I mean, there was only 23 seconds of it or 22 seconds, whatever it was. But I just like this overwhelming endorphins and, and just this kind of like, bang, why did you give up sport when you're 15? You love competitive sport. And it was just this kind of, kind of like literally revelation for me that, um, you know, all those feelings I had when I was swimming, when I was young of, of nerves and being terrified. But that just adrenaline of getting to the end. And not necessarily winning, but just doing as doing as hard, you know, working as hard as I could, putting all the effort I could. And that that moment changed me. I was like, right, okay, I'm going to do competitive sport. I've no idea what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to do some more. So there's a real effect there in that moment, a reminder 
from a past that you had yes. in competitive sports. Yes. So tell us about that. So you had a background as a, like an athletic background to start off. Yeah. With. I so when I was when I was uh, at school, I loved sport. I loved you know I was in every team. I was in the netball team, the tennis team, the rounders team. Uh, but the swimming was the thing I was really good at because I started swimming when I was very young, and I just literally like a fish in water. Um, and I used to race a lot um, for the school, me and my my best buddy. Um, and we would like we, we'd win all we'd win all the races. If she raced, she won. If I raced, I don't know who. Actually, I can't remember who used to win our races, which is strange. Um, but but I loved it and I loved the training. I loved everything about it. Um, and then literally one day I was 15 and I just looked at my shoulders and I realized they were really muscly and I didn't like the way they made me look. And I just like, right, I know it's the swimming. I'm going to give it up. And I gave it up one day to the next. And but I didn't realize, you know, at the time I was doing my GCSEs and I, there was so much I didn't realize about the benefits that it was giving me at the time. And not even, you know, just the fact that I loved it, it wasn't even like the kind of, you know, you know, we all saying, oh, you've got to be healthy, you've got to take exercise. It wasn't that. It was that I had loved it. And actually, that's the kind of not it's not a tragedy because I've come back to it now. But um, that's the I wish somebody could have shook me up and say, Louise, you're an idiot. You love swimming. You love competitive sport. Do not give it up. So it's actually a little bit. Uh, there's a body image aspect. It was there. 100. It was 100. Yeah, it was 100. And that's a real, you know, to me, that's kind of gutting now because, you know, I've got teenage daughters and, and we talk all the time, don't we, about how important body image is. And it was the fact that I was too muscly in my head that stopped me. And that's just, you know, now I'm really proud. You know, I'm 50 and I've got muscles and I think that's cool. And I'm just like, that's such a su- such a shame. And, and that's the story of so many girls, particularly, I think, um, body image, whatever it is, makes them stop. And that's really sad. Remember the the uh, GB hockey team girls mm. t- talking about switching the mentality from when they they were getting serious about their weight training because they realised not only was it a component of their performance that they had to make sure that they were quick and speedy yeah. and strong, but also just changing the psychology of it that we're proud to be athletic yes. and that we're proud yes. of our bodies and what we can do as opposed to a preconceived idea that they're imposing on themselves. That is 100% what I think. And, you know, and now as a 50 year old woman to be strong and to be able to move in a different way um, than I than I was, you know, two, three years ago or certainly five years ago. Um, it makes I just feel so much better and, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not and I'm not I don't do it to kind of like look a certain way. I just look this way because of the exercise that I do. Do you sort of mean? But I do genuinely feel all the time stronger. And strong for me is really, really good thing. It's important and it feels good. So so you rediscovered that love and that passion mm. for competition that you, you left behind yeah. as a 15-year-old. And then what next? You, you got out of the velodrome and the 4,000 people and <laughs> what do you just start going, entering local table tennis competitions, <laughs> see what you're good no, at? <laughs> there was something also about the bike thing. Because um, okay. I, when I when I used to live in London before we moved up with breakfast, um, I had a bike, and I used to. This is to my shame. I used to bike to either to or from work. It was six miles. Okay, I'm not even warmed up at six miles now, <laughs> and mm. I used to think that was such a long way that I would either take the train to work and only bike back, or bike to work and take the train back. I mean, it's, it's so crazy. Um, but I I thought that that um, cycling was. And it is. It's a brilliant way of getting from A to B. But for me, it was never sport. 
it was never right let's see how fast I can go or how far I can go or it just it just wasn't something for me it just didn't occur to me that it could be a sport and I just got off that bike thinking oh but you know cycling uh, again it was a complete revelation to me is a brilliant sport it's exhilarating it's fun it's um so many things um so yeah it was about there was something special about the bike and I went and bought myself a racing bike my husband's like what are you doing you're spending this money and I got all the kit and the ridiculous shorts and the cleats and the everything and he's like what are you doing you're never gonna go on the bike I've now got three bikes and I ride them a lot <laughs> So you had a background as a swimmer, yeah, and yeah. now you're starting to do the maths and thinking swim and bike. What else? And no, did you it wasn't a, a background in running. No, at all? it wasn't. So it wasn't me. It was a friend of mine who um who saw me. We when I'd first moved up here, I'd been running with her a bit, and she'd so, seen that I got the bike. And she didn't know I was a swimmer, and she said, "So you, you know, you do you always um, biking and running. Why did?" And I was running just a bit here and there. Um, and she said, why don't you try triathlon? And I was like, triathlon, mm, brownlies, yep, I know about them, tick. I think I know the sports. I don't even know what order they're in. But she said, oh, I've signed up for one in, you know, six months' time. And I just thought, well, if she signed up for one, uh, I've decided I want to do competitive sport. Why not try it? <laughs> and I just, that, again, that first day, um, which was terrifying and everything, I just, I also just loved as well. And I really found you know it's something about the three sports as well which is super challenging um but also brilliant is certain project management to triathlon, <laughs> project management. You, oh my gosh the, the list manage, the lists. yeah you've got your belt you've got your gels you've got your you know you've got to put your hat, hat on a certain way you've got to, you've got to stand outside and practice getting on your bike <laughs> with no shoes on you know these sorts of things which is Oh. Which is just odd, isn't it? There's, there's the so many different components to it. Let alone. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, effort. I had no idea when I started um, how sort of ridiculously complicated it can be. And even because I speak to them all, you know, all the time, um, the, the Vicky Hollands and everybody, you know, it's for them. It's complicated because, like you say, there are so many rules. I mean, you know, I, I can't even get the basic ones right. Like I put my helmet on the wrong way twice coming out of transition, and then you have to you can't <laughs> touch your bike unless you've got your helmet on. So much so that twice I think I've run out with my helmet still on on the run because I'm so paranoid about it. So um, I wanted the book when I wrote the book. I, I wrote I have I do have a list, and you say the project management. I've got my kit list and my and I I, I wrote it in the book. I, I gave it to my publisher and I thought, you know, this is going to be like the most boring chapter. You know what you need in transition. And every time before I go to the race, I get out my book and I go to chapter fifteen and I check the list. <laughs> so let's so let's acknowledge your book now so sorry to sorry to mention the book but no no no, no. i know i i, yeah. I want to say actually it's a really it's a lovely read uh it's really generously written um because it's not egotistical look at me what i've what i've done because your accomplishments are quite quite incredible but you've actually written a chapter uh, that's actually of use to you. <laughs> yeah, because I really thought it was going to be the worst chapter. And I said to him, I said, you, 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 you're never going to use that chapter. He said, I promise you, it's so useful. And there's a couple of things I need to add to it. But um, yeah, hopefully, I mean, I've made so many ridiculous, like so many of us triathletes do and athletes, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a top level athlete. I'm just a person who tried, who started very late in life. So I've made every mistake pretty much that you can do. So hopefully if you read the book, uh, you'll laugh at them mostly and maybe not do them yourself so you said that you're not a, you're not a not a top athlete but you've made world age group championships so so tell us about how you started realizing okay 
I'm not bad at this now. Uh, so um, the first the first race I did, um, which was um, in the in the river that I live very near to, um, I was. I mean, I, I you know it's in the book, but I um, I love. I first of all, it was incredibly nerve wracking. I had a panic. I would almost class it a panic attack in a swim because you know I thought went in all confident, thinking, well, the one thing I can do here is I can swim. It's going to be fine. That was all fine until I got into the river, which is deep, dark, chocolatey brown. You can't see your hand, let alone, I mean, you can pretty much see your elbow, but not your hand. Um, and I d- genuinely got in and, you know, there's this sort of melee at the beginning, the washing machine, as I refer to it. And lots of people do, actually. Mm. And, and I couldn't settle my breathing. I couldn't get into a rhythm. I was just like all the time going, oh, my gosh, how am I going to manage to do this? My chest was really tight. I looked up and I could see my dog um, and my husband and my children on the side. I was like, how far have I gone? Thinking I've got, you know, I must have done like it was 750 metres. And they go, <laughs> uh, you've done about 100 metres. And I was, oh, my gosh. Anyway, so that was really panicky. Um, but, but finished that and um, did the cycle ride, which was absolutely brilliant. Uh, the run was really challenging because anybody who's ever tried to get off a bike when you've been cycling really hard and then run it's so hard and I wasn't adapted to it I hadn't done it lots of times so it was like running through sand um but anyway got you know got over the finishing line did that ridiculous thing where burst into tears uh, I think because you know I'd been spent a lot of time building up to it um I didn't know whether I could do it and you know the sort of emotion of having my family there and it was it had been really hard I did that classic thing, burst into tears, I got over the finishing line. Two minutes later, just thought, love that, must do that again. <laughs> and then on that day, I think I came eighth in my age group. And I didn't realise at the time that um, you got, you, you basically, you get judged in your age group. And eighth in my age group, out of about 35 or something people, was just like, oh gosh, that was that's a really, you know, a surprising and really good result. And then I did a couple of more did some of the brownies ones which were brilliant and came fourth in my age group so I started sort of being quite good in my age group and then somebody said to me and I used to go to these triathlons and you'd see these people in this GB kit they'd have you know Jones GBR written on their chest and I was like why how they you know being a journalist being slightly curious about people I was like what's that all about and then somebody told me that if I went to a qualifying triathlon um and and got a qualifying time I could represent my country in my age group in the world championships and you know (laughs) at the time you know these these people tell me things and what happens to my brain is it sort of goes into the back of my brain and it starts a little kernel of an idea and it sort of stayed there and I thought age group world championship with with the kit saying GB on it that's got to be something that is worth giving a go and so that's the, that's my problem with my brain. It sort of it sort of explores things and expands on things. And when I first had that idea, I didn't tell my coach. I did have a coach because I, I just couldn't really cope with knowing what I was meant to be doing or how much of this and that. And I didn't tell her for ages. I kind of looked on the on the British Triathlon website and sort of looked at things. And um, I thought she'd just tell me I was ridiculous. And actually, when I did tell her, she looked at me and she said, Yes, she, she knows me well. She goes, "You're serious, aren't you?" I was like, "Yeah." She goes, "You have a lot of work to do <laughs> because my time." Nice reality check. Yeah, big reality check. On the swim, I was fine, absolutely fine, no problem at all. On the bike, you know, like ten minutes out on the run, ten minutes out probably, and that's over sprint distance, so seven hundred and fifty meter swim, twenty five k bike, five k run. And she said, "So first of all, you have a lot of work to do. Secondly, you're never going to be fast enough." to be in a sprint race you're going to have to double 
all the distances. And given that I already found it tough, you know, to double it to a 10K was like, oh, my gosh. Um, so, yeah, I definitely had a lot of work to do. We neither of us knew that whether I could do it or not. So we had sort of eight months before um, my first qualifying race to just knuckle down and get running, swimming and biking a lot. So I'm hearing there quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of resilience um, going from this quite daunting panic attack in a river mm. uh, and then very quickly forgetting that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> like a clever little habit that, that happens, oh. I guess, after people have had babies and things. Yeah. that was painful well, no, I said, that's another one yeah no I know it's it's silly isn't it but um what I did with that river swim because I was really thrown by it because I'd been so super confident about the swimming I knew I could I knew I was fast um and what I did I saw um, a few months later that there was a 5k swim in the river and I'd realized what it was that made me panic what made me panic was not being able to see that's what it was because you swim in the swimming pool and it's all lovely and clear you've got a black line and blah blah isn't it it's all fine so it was and that was a sort of claustrophobia thing for me so I saw this 5k swim advertised in the same river and I thought right okay so I know I had a panic attack I'm going to do the 5k swim and one of two things has happened will happen either I will never swim in a river again or I will never worry about swimming in a river again <laughs> so I did the 5k swim uh it was super challenging I got really cold and I didn't panic. And ever since, I every time I get in the water, I know it's going to be fine. So, yeah, it's a, it's not a clever. It wasn't a, a forgetting that. That was kind of like confronting it and going, right, OK, let's see what happens here. Well, that's that's a little bit like uh, as we were talking about getting used to presenting to six million people every morning. Yeah. Is that you're acknowledging your experiences. If I can do it. OK, yeah. I've overcome that particular yeah. level. I've, I've moved up another base camp on the mountain. Yeah. And I'm, I'm at that level now. Yeah. And I'm not going to go back down. The no, I won't. I'm not going to de-skill. De That's really interesting. And with the swimming again. So now um, having done, I guess that was the most frightening thing and not being able to see. And once you get used to not being able to see, there's pretty much, you know, nothing that I find that's that worrying, really, to be honest with you. Um, and I remember standing on one of the qualifiers um, a couple of years ago in Flandidno and the, it was the Irish Sea and it was cold and it was wavy. And I, it's really bad, but I sort of look at it and go, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. And I know, you know, people around me are really terrified. And I don't, you know, I don't want to, I'm not being mean, but I just think I'm going to be fine. And I feel sorry for them that they're not, they're worried about it. But actually it sort of is quite empowering to know that I am going to be fine. And the bigger the waves, the more scared other people are. And, and it's going to be fine. Touch wood, she says. Oh, no, but that's a, that sounds like a mantra as much as anything. Right. There's a, that sort of record that you're playing yeah. in your own mind yeah. that is is getting you ready for that. I mean, if anyone can can stand in Lundadno and, <laughs> and think, I'm not scared, they're, they're pretty strong-minded. They were people out. There was one poor guy who was being rescued in front of us. Oh, my gosh. But then, you see, what surprises me, then I can get all, you know, even though I know that's fine, I get, we talk about comfort zones, and then I went to Patagonia to do the Patagon Man, where we jumped off a ferry in the dark. And actually, before then, I was super scared, super, super scared. Didn't want to get in, thought I was going to be, you know, get hypothermia, was one of the last to get in. And then when I got in, so I jumped off the edge. And it's there's something about the water for me, which is so exciting. I, I, I went, I dropped down, dropped down, you know, in, came up. And by the time I came up into the water, I was like, again, this is going to be great. I'm not, I'm more than fine. This is going to be an amazing swim. And so you, you talk about nerves in your book. 
very specifically about this technique about breathing yeah. and imagining jellyfish. <laughs> talk, talk to me about that because if I yeah. if I imagine jellyfish, that doesn't that it doesn't, doesn't have happen to most people. Positive effect on my that doesn't have a positive effect on my nerves. No, no. So what it was, um, I was in Liverpool and it was a sprint try and. Before this, as I say, we talk about getting really nervous and that sort of manifests in get really over talkative, over panicky. Where are my goggles? Oh, they're on my head. You know, can't remember. You know, this is where the lists come in really important that I've done the list because I sort of can't remember what I've done and have I done it right. And and really jittery. And, you know, the heart rate goes up and all the rest of it. And then I remember. So I was particularly nervous on that day and uh, we got in and I think it was quite a rough start. I think I had my goggles knocked off in the first hundred meters, put them back on again. And then then started, then I'm like, then I suddenly realized, oh, you know what? This water's really lovely temperature. And actually I can see, which is important for me. And I looked down and I could see these jellyfish. Um, well, I didn't think they were jellyfish. I could see these little things floating beneath me. I said, like, oh, that's so lovely. The fish have come out to see us. And I sort of had went into this moment of amazing zen-like calm where I'm in a race, but I'm just really enjoying the moment. And then I later realised that they were, in fact, jellyfish. But even I think I think at the time I realised they were jellyfish. And I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. They're lovely jellyfish. And they come out to see us. And there's this sort of overwhelming calm that sometimes, as I say, when I'm nervous, I can go back to that moment and that feeling that I had of sort of super contentment, even though I'm in the middle of a race and, you know, it's really important and I'm trying really hard. I was just in an amazing place where everything was going brilliantly and it's really calming for me still really calming to think about that and it's the texture of the water as well that I can remember and I just go back to that have a few breaths and I okay right okay let's get on with whatever scary thing we're about to do and you say you still find that the nerves are out of control uh yeah I do uh are they out of control I think they're mm, I think they probably I wish they were more under control, but maybe that's part, again, of the reason I like it, because, you know, you've, it's about adrenaline. It's about getting ready. If I didn't have the nerves, I probably wouldn't, you know, get on with it in the same way. I, I always think I used to think that it was about the swim because I know that the swim in triathlon is the one that I must or I say to this myself. I don't have to get it right, but it's the one I'm really good at. So I really need to get it right. And also, you know, when I'm trying to get into the age group team you know the bottom line is I need to be out really fast in the swim to get give me a chance of getting in the team because otherwise I just won't so I really have to take my heart in my hands and go right I'm going to be at the front of this race and whatever happens however many times I get my goggles off knocked off or kicked in the face or whatever it is I really need to get on with it so I think that really ramps up the pressure for me um and I I don't see it hasn't gone away and I, I went to did a half marathon last week and the nerves are not the same when I'm doing a run. They're not the same, but I still have them. I think they get really, really, you know, out of control, but on the edge of being out of control ahead of a swim. Um, but running and cycling it is different. It's a different level. So we've leapt into the sort of pre-preparation and nerves and so on, because that's interesting. But what would, what sort of training levels are you operating at? What, what, and I don't, I don't, I don't know what you're preparing for at the moment, yeah. but you say so your world, the World Triathlon Championships you competed out in 2015. Yeah. Are you still in full on training now? Uh, so I did 2015. I did them as well last year. I went to the Gold Coast in 20. So I did, I think I did 2015, 2016. I did a European Championships, 2017 uh, Rotterdam World Championships, 2018 Gold Coast World Championships. And one of the things I've changed over the years is that I, in Rotterdam, the Gold Coast, 
I, I, I proved my coach wrong. She said I could never be fast enough to do sprint, but I qualified for the sprint world championships, which was great. So I love those. Um, this year I am doing the um, world aquabike championships. So that swim and a bike. Uh, that's in Spain in, I think, about three months or so. So that's a long swim, 3K swim and about 120K bike. You'll notice no run. Yay. Um, hmm. And I'm doing another, I'm going to do another longer race, but I can't tell you the details yet. <laughs> <Tease. Uh-oh>, no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh- <laughs> I'm really so, excited so- about it. <laughs> Sorry. Does that involve running too? It does involve running. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so um what's your training week look like uh so um so obviously the big challenge of last year was doing the um the x try so that was really went up quite a lot but it's pretty much seven or eight hours a week which is you know if you compare to most of the age group athletes it's not you know it's it's not enough um but you know I still get in the team, <laughs> but, but you know they they are probably doing a lot, a lot more than me. Yeah, seven eight hours. I'll do three bike, uh, three runs, couple of bikes, and one swim in the winter probably, and then I'll up that to two swims in the summer. And actually, I'm moving a lot to do more, lots more strength and conditioning at the moment as well. Ah, very good. So so quite focused runs, quite uh, yeah, quite focused bike sessions. Yeah, they're really focused. So Claire, who's who's my coach, um, Claire Sutcliffe, she's been coaching me for. I think four years now so she does the plan because that's one thing that I would not have been able to do this I don't think without somebody who knew what I needed to do to be faster and all the rest of it uh, so she does the plan and also it takes away the responsibility for me it's just like I've just got to the, do the run I don't need to know you know I don't need to consider what kind of run but yeah it's really specific um you know lots of different types like I'll do an endurance run at the week uh, in the weekend I'll do um, like hill reps or whatever, but she she sets that all out for me. Is that in any way modified to account for the work that you do and the times that the time that you spend at the BBC, for example? Um, is it we we just I just have to work around it. So she'll put in the stuff, and I'll tell her if I can't work if I can't do anything. But she sort of puts it around, and she gets a bit annoyed with me because I flip it around and because I can't do that particular thing, and I'll swap it. And of course, it's all beautifully organised. So I've done a really yes. hard day. I should poor, be doing a feel for her. Um, yeah, so it's, it, it, we, we do modify it around the hours and stuff. Yeah, definitely. You don't have the concept of an early morning swim. No, run. that's you're, it's you're not, preoccupied. It's just then. not there, so that's good. <laughs> I don't have to do them. <laughs> Half two job. Um, okay, so so you're you've got big plans for for this year. You're, you're still pushing on. Yeah. Do, is there any? You mentioned your age. Do you, do you flick into a different? Oh age no, I flicked in last year into the fifty to fifty five. Right, so okay. uh, yeah, and everybody. Sort of, I think people assume that it gets less competitive, but I don't think it does. I think you know, <laughs> if you if you're my age, uh, mostly your kids are now teenagers. Um, so you've got a little bit more time on your hands. So it's super competitive. And there, I love, I've made so many lovely friends over the years. Um, and unfortunately, I've been telling them about Aquabike. So now they're joining me in Aquabike. <laughs> like, oh no, why did I tell them? <laughs> I pre-qualified. So I did it last year and I pre-qualified for this year because you had to come, um, you had to be uh, first, second or third Brit. And then in the, in the top 15 in the world. And I was third Brit, 14th but I won't pre-qualify this year because I've told my friends and they're doing it. <laughs> oh, no. You want to keep the secret event. I know. I should have <laughs> shut my silly mouth shut. 
Anyway, it's brilliant. I'm glad they'll do that. You don't want to inspire too many of these ex-swimmers and ex-runners no, to take up funny, triathlon, do you? The funniest thing is that, so um, with, with my, I mean, so so I'll come out really, hopefully kind of really far to the front in the swim. And it's just, for me, it's a war of attrition. It's like, how far can I get? before they chase me down the road on their bikes. <laughs> when they come and get me, oh, no. So you mentioned there about being competitive and, yeah. and they've got this sort of hunger and ambitious streak that you, you rediscovered after the velodrome event. Yeah. And that was one of the chapters that I, I was immediately drawn to in the book about being competitive and, and recognising that. But also you had a number of quite lovely reframes mm. of that about you there's a section in there about happy about being competitive happy about those euphoric moments when i was engrossed in the effort focused on the run overrun by adrenaline yeah. engulfed by endorphins i thought that's a really lovely way of, of of understanding why you're driven to do this thing as opposed to what i think often puts a lot of people off about competitive yeah. sport is that they, all they just see is the focus and the intensity and the somewhat selfishness mm. of this pursuit. Tell me a bit about you understanding your own competitiveness. Well, I don't. So people always say, and I touched on it in the book about, um, oh, you know, you're so competitive. And that to me sounds like a really, and it sounds, you know, as a woman, it sounds like a pejorative term. It sounds to me like, you know, they think that if I was, you know, running for, I don't know, get the first bit of chocolate I push them out of the way that has nothing to do with that for me it is about what you've just said it's about taking part it's about what it does for me um and I'm not saying that if somebody I get really you know if somebody's last 100 meters of a triathlon and they're trying to overtake me I'm not saying that I wouldn't put in all the effort I could but it's so much about the sort of being part of an event and being there with people and that and and what you know it's not about winning for me and of course you know if you're an olympic athlete it's completely different isn't it but it's not it's about so much about the taking part and what i get back from the taking part and the other day as i mentioned i did a half marathon the other day and there's just something about for me standing on that start line with lots of people who are about to do the same thing together and we'll all have our own individual reasons why we're on the start line we'll all have our own individual stories about what we've done to be on that start line and what it means and i just think that for me is something really special and i see can see other people are, are, are maybe intimidated by it or think it's you know we're all out to beat our this or beat our that no we're not or I'm certainly not I'm just there to be part of it if I can you know beat my PB so be it but I'm not going to go home uh, disappointed if I don't either I'm going to go home going I just did that you know what I did a half marathon today and that for me is an achievement um, so yeah it's not about winning it's about so much for me it's about taking part and what I get back for a the a you know the endorphins of all that training and also you know afterwards the kind of feeling of euphoria after Patagon man honestly I was on a high for two months <laughs> which is a long time that's a healthy dose that's of high, a really that healthy dose isn't it <laughs> it was quite painful but it was a really healthy dose so, so you're alluding there to some of your inner drivers and motivations, but also what you're getting back from mm. it and, and that sense of, of collectiveness, community. I think you, I, th I think a lot of people looking at Park Run would feel the same. Yes. But you, you stood there on a misty morning on a Saturday uh, in the middle of nowhere. Everyone's applauding each other for the, some, 
Joe Bloggs from Anacorn yeah, yeah, has yeah, done yeah. their 20th yeah, or whatever yeah. it might it's be. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. And, and that you're all in it together. Park Run. It's, you're all in it together. And Park Run is a most wonderful thing. I don't go to mine nearly as often as I should do. But, um, yeah, you're all in it together. And you're all in, doing the same endeavour. And, and, you know, just that's really special for me. And there's something about the running races as well, because there's all the chit-chat, chit-chat, isn't there, beforehand. And then, the you know, the, the whistle goes. And suddenly there's the silence that comes down. And everybody's sort of, again, focused in their own individual way. But... Yeah, I just find that I enjoy it. <laughs> My A-level lecturer used to say that uh, he's going to get treadmills in, installed in his uh, in the classroom. Because it shuts to, people to turn up. Turn the, the speed up. Yeah, everyone goes above their ventilatory threshold. <laughs> that's it. Conversation's done. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. So that's and and why did you write the book then? Because there's, there's again, it's a different type of book because it's not a sort of a how-to guide. It's not necessarily a look at me. Um, it seems like a, an inner motivation to to inspire people. Not whether it necessarily whether it's triathlons. Uh, there's a play on words for the the book yeah. title, but it's about giving it a go. For me, it's a, it is about the title. It's about dare to try, and it's spelt I, as you can see on the title. But you no, know, try, go and do. You know, we've all got something that we love to do that we'd really enjoy. Go find out whatever it is, and just go for it. Whether it's playing bridge, or it's uh, dancing tango, or you know, just that opportunity to get out there and exceed your own expectations. You know, I'm not, I don't do it because I want to impress anybody else. I really, you know, I've got no interest in that. I just want to do it because I didn't think I could do it. There's lots of different things along this way that I didn't think I could do. And actually, you know, setting, setting goals that are really high and then getting there is just, you know, it's been, for me, it's been a, a brilliant way of, of honing skills, of building resilience, all sorts of different things. Um, and, 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 you know, challenging myself in ways that I just didn't think was possible. And I, you know, I was 45 when I started this. Um, and I think you can do that in everything. You can do that in a book, uh, not in a book, you can do that in your, um, in your job, with your family, whatever it is. But also, I just think it's important in your life to have something that you are passionate about, uh, that, you know, my children are going to grow up and they're going to be gone soon. One's going to be going, you know, leaving school this year. Um, and that and that's what I will do. I'll do more of, of all of this adventure. So there's so many adventures to be out there. So, yeah, it's totally to inspire other people to go and find what they want to do, what their challenges are, and not to be afraid, not to be afraid um, to tell people what you want to do. Because, again, that's really a way of motivating yourself isn't it and not to be afraid to just give it a go and fail guess what fail it's no big deal just get on your bike and try again i've fallen off my bike too many times not to no when you're talking about the spark of the the idea at the beginning of the book mm. and you're talking about the hope that came in there and the curiosity about the next level and the the nerves and facing your demons and being competitive those those all of those things can act as a cut and paste or a metaphor mm. for doing something of meaning in life, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. And it, as I say, it doesn't have to be, you know, I say to people, please, you don't need to take up triathlon. You know, if it's if your ambition is to write a book, just write the first chapter or the first sentence or whatever it is, just because, you know, uh, and, and you know, I've got so much support as well a long way from lots of different people. But, you know, you will get support if it's something you're passionate about. And, you know, you will get rewards. One of the most, I think the most, um, uh, the best things for me has been that thing about resilience, particularly in triathlon, I think, uh, and in endurance sport is, you know, just being able to get through stuff that is painful, um, 
challenging all those demons I mentioned the demons and the voices in my head telling me I can't do stuff and that helps you in lots of different ways when you go back to your job or whatever it is it's really empowering actually to have been through things which you don't think you can get through and you do yeah there's a lovely section in the in the book about demons (laughs) and and, and, but and it's a good I I like the term actually and I know a lot of people veer away from it but I think it's that's how it can feel at times, those inner voices. And um, you said that you had a sudden moment of clarity. If I stopped, I'd be letting myself down and my family down too, and there'd be no way back from that. So it's a, it was a sense of, like, I've, I've set these sort of standards yeah. and I want to work to those. Yeah. But also other, other people have made some sacrifices along the that way is, that I want to honour. That is really important for me. And I'm sure, you know, with the athletes that you work with as well. Um, yeah, they, you know, my family have input a huge amount of uh, time, effort, support, uh, you know, missing outness, um, all sorts of things that actually, you know, I would really be doing them a disservice if I didn't bother to finish the race. Um, you know, so far, I've never not finished a race. And I think, um, you know, that that was very much part of is part of my motivations. And, and you come, you can get a bit more basic than that, you know, kind of like the shame of it. Shame for me is a fantastic motivation. <laughs> yeah, I, when when I did uh, Land Centre John O'Groats, I really suffered with my knees. Oh gosh, first you do. two days, Cornwall and Devon were just terrible, and and I got to we got to Manchester, and my knees just seized up. Yeah, and I I was I was lying on the side of the road, just thinking, Land Centre Warrington does not sound very cool. <laughs> there you go, you see, uh, not cool. Great motivator. <laughs> So I think I'll just keep going. <laughs> um, Chris, yeah, we, I know that you work with them, Chris Hoy, and actually he told me the most, and, it, and it's something I've worked out for myself, but he kind of uh, crystallised it for me because in those moments when things are really bad and you think, oh, I can't do this, this is ridiculous, why am I even here, why am I bothering, all the rest of it. He says, break it down. He told me to break it down. And I do break things down. I'm like, literally, right, OK, I'm going to run to that tree and then I'm going to make a decision <laughs> and I'm going to run to wherever. Um, and, you know, there are things that you can learn, aren't there, to get you through those moments. And I've learned lots of them. And, you know, there's about, I don't know, maybe 10 different things I kind of rely on in those really bad moments. Um, but when it, when I got to so break it down, got to me in, in Patagon Man to on the bike, I've broken it down. So I count a lot. So I count to 100 or 60 when I'm running or. I was counting one, two, one, two with the pedals. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I've got nowhere to go here. After one, two, there's one and then there's nothing. But actually, the one, two did get me through. It got me through. I don't know how many times I counted one, two. But it was an awful lot. It's just getting the moment to pass as well, isn't it? When the, when you, when the voice is in your head telling you to stop. If you can get them to shut up for one minute, then they hopefully go away. Yeah, change the focus. I know Paula Radcliffe does that as uh, she counts, and and it's it, it sounds like a mind-numbingly boring thing, but it's just changing. But the that's exactly it, isn't it? It is mind-numbingly boring, so your your mind can't do the other stuff. So amazing achievement, a fantastic transition. But I, what I really respect and look up to is this: the fact that you've you've managed and you've worked it out, and you've been curious enough, you've been prepared to fail. Because the the transition and the speed at which you've increased your performance mm. has been quite remarkable, and f- for a lot of people growing up with a sport, you you do acclimatise more slowly, and that's a steadying experience for them as they progress 
up the, the various different levels, but you've just kind of <laughs> found yourself sort of st- on the start line of these major championships. I don't know. I just think, I, you know, uh, what do I think? I think um, you could, could, you could always pursue, couldn't you, speed? Um, and I think, you know, I've had an amazing time. I've had an amazing journey and I've loved it, but I'm beginning to learn as well because you learn, I'm learning all the time that actually, you know, I I mean, gosh, it's been the proudest moments of my life is to go and represent GB. But actually, I'm moving more to now um, about the love of the sport and the love of the experience. And, you know, getting out and doing races in incredible environments actually is kind of more important to me, I think, um, than being all the time faster. Because, you know, you could that's a sort of um, like you say, you're not you're not you're not going to be faster all the time either, are you? So. I would like to be, but that's not, again, again, going back to competitiveness, that's not what I'm looking for, I don't think. I'm looking for the adventure and the experience. So so you mentioned a couple of races there. So what is what is next? What's the sort of um, ambition? What's the, um, I was what really, are you setting your sights on? I was really impacted by, because um, uh, I was never going to do an Ironman distance. I mean, never, ever in a million years was going to do Ironman distance, mostly because, as you read the book, running is not my favourite thing. Um, but I decided to do this one last year because it was in Patagonia in a place where I'd lived when I was 21 as an interpreter, um, speaking uh, Spanish interpreter. And it just happened to be in the town that I lived in, in this incredibly remote area of Chile. So I just thought, you know, I'm 50 and I want to do an adventure. So let's go and do this race. And um, so it's Ironman distance, swimming in this beautiful field, uh, cycling into the Andes and then an off-road marathon. I mean, you've read my book. <laughs> Running marathons is almost my worst nightmare. But something happened there that, um, again, I just was really affected by. And there was something about being out for 16 hours, 35 minutes and 34 seconds in this incredibly beautiful um, place, and often on my own on the on the run, um, there was I saw in the twenty six miles or whatever it was, I saw one car. Uh, a lot of the time, I was on my own, and you know that for me, being able to be in these inc- incredible environments um, and able to kind of like survive as well. Like, you know, of course, I'm going to survive. You know, somebody would have found me. Hopefully, um, was was really it changed me in that I want to, you know, I want to do stuff and they're an amazing, you know, they're amazing. I'm not saying I'm going to do an endurance run by the way, but there are incredible things that you can do in this country. Amazing swims. I'm going to do a long swim um, in, in the summer as well. Long bike rides, those sportive. So yeah, I want to do lots of different kind of things, which more, you know, more, um, it's just about being outdoors actually for me, outdoors and, and swimming, you know, swimming in a river, swimming outside, swimming in the sea. That's what I'm more of my focus. I think is going to be on now. I don't know how what you would, what you'd say about that really. It's just um yeah, different. No, but I'm getting different a sense focus. that that it's not necessarily just staring at a piece of tarmac, no. the head down in an aero position. No, that that actually, and I and I, I definitely connect with this when I as 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 a mammal generation yeah. getting into bikes and so on. One of the wonderful things was discovering where I live. Yeah, genuinely, sort of getting out and connecting. That's the that's the piece of earth that I live on, and and connecting more so with that. Yes, um, I haven't quite and seeing and experiencing wonderful things whilst you're doing something you love. Yeah, and then for example, I've come back, um, and my daughter's now. Um, well, she she wants to start walking, so we're now walking in the Welsh hills, and you know, going up mountains and stuff. And yeah, you're right. There's something about connecting with the environment, which 
that's definitely a shift in me in the last six months or so. So I'll def- I'm definitely, you know, this year I've not booked any qualifiers at all for the World Championships. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to look at different things, um, which immerse you. There's something for me about being immersed in our environment. And, you know, I literally felt like I was kind of like washed by the Patagonian wind in a way that you're not going to be on a race around a city. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, racing around a city. <laughs> But it's just not what I'm going to do this year. Wonderful, Louise. Well, it's been amazing talking to you. And, uh, you know, congratulations on on what you've achieved. And it's been really, really inspiring to hear your journey and how you've managed it all the the way through. But also the generous way that you're sharing that story with other people. Uh, It's not, not in any way an intimidating romp through it. It's very much empowering and encouraging but gently challenging other people to, to go for it. So, um, so wonderful. And thank you for keeping us entertained in the mornings. <laughs> oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for talking. As you can tell, I, I love talking about it. <laughs> you can follow Louise. Well, uh, on the big red sofa most mornings on BBC One, uh, Louise is pretty active on Twitter at Louise Minchin and check out her website of the same name to find out more about her book. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ingham underscore Steve and the wider Supporting Champions team at support underscore champs. We're on Instagram and Facebook, Supporting Champions, and you can subscribe for the latest updates and ideas around high performance through supportingchampions.com. Thank you.